Concede true deception and multiply the million fold. Visualize the yin and yang in a battle so intense that we get them confused. The resident evil specialize in misconstruing. We want to be at a presidential level. What are we doing? Fooling ourselves, clowning ourselves, playing ourselves, but not being ourselves. We can't babble no more than we can bob our head off beat. Nim ride by the time we 40 cause we can't get off meat. Why we ask no reason for the misplacement of the season. Look at the picture that's painted. Tainted as the mind is blinded to the point where sodomites get all the rights. We fall for fights with fist to cuss. Get pissed enough to miss the bus. It disgusts me to see my folks run up on. I say stand up on the section of time all revelations. And recognize his mind numb and reality of horror known as mankind. Jesus and his 12 disciples make 13. A righteous number of righteous men. Even Judas the betrayer came true in the end. The devil say the end is the beginning. They teach that we were the product of incest. Invest no level of self into this system of pagan numbers. Stand with us and don't look back upon this faceless mind state. Otherwise, Babylon. 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 My memories of yesterday. Shalom, brother. Shalom, brother. I always start our conversations with greetings of peace, harmony, and prosperity. This conversation, although being recorded, is no different. We were speaking earlier about the format of this interview, and I want to publicly thank you for challenging me to think outside the box format-wise. I often tell people who are hesitant to being interviewed that I welcome their feedback and the fact that their story matters and your story matters brother beyond that i want to acknowledge your sense of humility by mentioning that you appreciate the invite on the podcast but you know some other brothers who are steeped in knowledge that i hope can we can unwrap some information at a later date hopefully they're willing to have that conversation although you mentioned those brothers to be interviewed i still value your opinion and insight that you have offered me over the years and for that, I salute you, brother. Thank you, dear brother. Starting, let's go ahead and get this interview started. Um, you mentioned the other day that blacks or African-Americans have become the face of every form of immorality. For my listeners, please explain how you arrived at that process. Well, I think back to um, if you look at pictures uh, of uh, our ancestors, whether it be in the uh, early 1900s, well, through the... Uh, 1960s and 70s, if you notice, if you look at those pictures, you'd almost never be able to tell what they were dealing with, you know, the type of uh, oppression that they were under, because they always presented themselves and really, really fought to be considered or to be seen as, as dignified human beings. And so they always, in public, uh, put their best foot forward. They always wanted to be seen as upright and moral and, again, dignified human beings. When we look at what is uh, conveyed today through popular culture and media, you know, whether it be music, whether it be uh, film, uh, even these reality shows, our people are presented in such an undignified and really immoral manner to where... Every form of immorality, whether it be criminal activity, criminal behavior, whether it be loose sexual morals, and even now with black people being made the face of homosexuality in this country, this is what we're facing. We're being made the face of almost every deviant behavior and every behavior that's considered in rebellion uh, to God's will and God's way. And these images, uh, and now we're, we're dealing with this now for at least a generation and a half, where our young people... I almost have no remembrance of the time. You know, it used to be a saying, or you used to always hear, man, that's white people stuff over there. <laughs> black people held it. Black people held a particular moral standard. No matter how poor we were, no matter how oppressed, um, we held a particular moral standard. And today that's not the case. And we see, you know, like I said, black men and black women now being made the face of homosexuality, uh, black Women now, you know, the, 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 the twerk culture, you know, your Cardi B's, your uh, Meg Thee Stallion. This is what's being pushed and promoted. And it has such a, a devastating and detrimental effect on our children and our future generations. And also uh, the way that we are seen 
throughout the world. You know, we're we're, we're seen in less than a uh, less than a human light, and it affects the manner in which we're treated, not only around the world, but you know, people who come to this country. This is why people come and set up shop in our neighborhoods. They come to get rich, but they don't come to share anything with us. In in, in terms of the broader brotherhood of humanity, they see us as, you know, people to be taken advantage of, people to be exploited. And so they'll come to our neighborhoods and sell to us things that they would never consume themselves, things that are against their way of life, their culture. And that's the way that we're treated. And a big part of that has to do with how we allow ourselves to be portrayed uh, in the media and these images that not only go into us and our our children who are young and impressionable, but the images that are spread around the world. And it has a very devastating and negative effect. And if we continue to watch this and continue to allow it, we'll see how it uh, has, a, has a negative impact on the future of our people. I totally agree with you, brother. Uh, for my listeners, they cannot see what background I have currently. Um, we're recording this via Zoom. But in the background, I have two well-known individuals, uh, Minister Malcolm X or El Haj Malik Shabazz and uh, Muhammad Ali and other men being pictured along with these men, these great men. Um, I'm sure they had their own things, and that's, that's not important to this conversation. But the image that they portray, they're portraying in this particular picture that I have as my background is not commonly seen anymore. We're, we're talking about black men in suits, clean cut, well-groomed, and the conversation, I'm sure, was a great conversation, an adult, masculine conversation in many cases. I'm sure that they had their jokes and things of that nature, but we don't see this commonly on TV anymore. We don't see a lot of pictures like this anymore. And I don't mean to cut you off, brother, mm-hmm. but these types of images of our men, this is hated. Mm-hmm. These images are hated. You know, it may be that these men are celebrated now because they're no longer with us, but we got to remember, man, when they were amongst us, these were now very well-loved men. They represented strength, defiance, something that's always been denied to black men, uh, strong expressions of manhood and masculinity. And that is very threatening to those who want to keep us, uh, you know, where we are Mm -hmm. and who who want to deter uh, our future rise. And um, these are, you know, you have to ask yourself, how do we go from that being the standard that we aspire to, men such as those, to where we see what's paraded and promoted before us today as uh, the standard of manhood or what young black men should aspire to and even what young black women should aspire to. How did we get here? And that's a, that's a great segue into more than likely what will be the next episode that I am going record and hopefully put out there is an episode called How Did We Get Here? I want to talk about some of the things that in my mind and, and hopefully uh, my guests or guest mine will be elements as to why we transitioned, how we got to this point. But I want to go back to what you mentioned, so-called African-Americans or blacks being the, the picture of homosexuality or profane lifestyles. Recently, there was a picture that was released of this young man. I don't want to mention his name. I don't want to get this, this particular uh, chapter blocked or get my whole podcast brought down. But there's a picture of this, this young man, and I, I use man loosely. I don't know what he want to be called. But there's a picture of him being depicted as being pregnant. And there's all this glorification of, oh, this is, this is motivating. This is different. It's not an agenda that's common amongst our community. You know, our people are so giving and forgiving of a lot of things. So, and I think the reason why, in my opinion, why we've become this, this face of acceptable behavior, even in, in his bad sense, is because people in our community mistake correction for judgment. Now, let's let that sit for a second, brother. Mm, mm, mm. Absolutely. So one of the things you often hear now, see, we used to be a a community of correction. 
Mm-hmm. You know, our, our elders, when they saw us getting off track, getting offline, man, they would they would they would be able to correct us. But today, somehow, we've moved to this thing where any form of correction is considered, you know, you can't judge me, or you're judging, and there's no shame attached to a lot of the behaviors that we see in our community. And because there's no shame attached to it, there's no way to correct it, even if we see how um, how harmful a lot of the behavior and culture has become because of this idea now that, you know, if I say the wrong thing, I'm going to get canceled. Or, you know, if I correct very clearly errant behavior, then somehow I'm a hater. I'm judging. And, you know, we kind of, excuse me, have gotten to this place where we allow, it's almost like, man, in the black community, it's almost a free fall. Like anything goes, man. It's almost like the thing where anything goes and we don't have the ability to correct people and when you lose the the ability to shame you lose the ability to correct and there should be shame attached to certain behaviors and not to uh shame someone to uh to put them down or have them walking around feeling less than shame you know there's a reason why you cover up (laughs) when you go outside you don't allow all of your parts to be seen. It's not that you should be ashamed of who you are, ashamed of yourself, but you always put your best foot forward. And there always has to be a culture of correction where we are sharpening one another and demanding the best from one another and expecting the best from one another. And we've really reached a low point where we uh, we just accept anything, man, and, and people are afraid to say anything. And our elders have lost the ability to correct. And unfortunately, many of our elders are now encouragers and also participants in some of the madness. The the sad thing here is um, what we're witnessing is, and I'm not, I'm not castigating anyone or judging anyone, but what we're witnessing is a culture of brokenness mm. because we're broken in so many different ways, going all the way back to slavery and buck breaking and things of that nature that if for my listeners who are not familiar with that term, please look that up. But it's it's a part of our DNA. The brokenness goes back 400 years. Yes. And we've gone from we we have transferred from one form of brokenness to another form of brokenness to another form of brokenness because we have special um, traumas that only apply to African-Americans or blacks, you know, whatever a person decides to be called. We have specific traumas that need to be addressed. And um, it's much like women when they are going through pregnancy or going through things that requires them to go to a hospital, there's this notion that the pain of black folks is not the same pain as experienced by other people. I would go as far as to say that our experiences and how we're looked at as individuals is not as important to others as it should be. So when you say we have people from other communities, other cultures, other continents coming here, selling us weave that will kill us, because of the products that you have to put on your head in order to have that weed selling us blunt wraps to be able to smoke marijuana, selling us malt liquor, selling us food. If you want to call it food, things that lack any nutritional value, selling us pig feet, pork rinds and things of that nature, things that are not good for us as far as our health is concerned. And in a lot of cases, these individuals who own these stores, and I'm talking about these the corner store that you go to. They are um, practicing Muslims, right, and right. they know they have an understanding of dietary law. They, as you mentioned, they would not feed this to their friends, their family, the people that they know, but they're feeding it to us. Because it, interesting, and I and I'll go to the next to the next uh, question that I have for you, brother. Interesting enough, I I know Hebrew and Greek Aramaic. Okay. And I I had a conversation with a so-called Jewish person mm. before. And I uh I I walked up to him and I said um I was surprised that he was shopping in a store that uh what they would call Goyim Goyim would not shop at. Right, right. So I said uh first off and I was wrong too cuz I believe this is on a uh on a Friday. So we were going into uh, Shabbat, 
And I said, I said, Shabbat Shalom. And we had our conversation in Greek, Aramaic, Hebrew. And uh, I, I, I culminated that conversation with what, why do you call, why do you call certain people Goyim? <laughs> and we traded things back and forth. And that was an interesting conversation. None, nonetheless, when I got in the car, I had a, a, a significant coughing. So that six-pointed star is, it's not the star of David. But that's a whole nother conversation for another day. You know, I encourage my listeners to look that up. You know, I'm just trying to chop that jewel. But that leads into another question that I have for you. And it's based upon a, a conversation we had briefly via text. You sent me an article denoting that China is banning effeminate men from television and furthermore mentioning that their leadership understands the importance of culture and controlling the messages conveyed to their people and the planet. And stating this with the, with things like you mentioned, reality shows, rap stars, rap music videos, dancing TikTok videos, and even, unfortunately, the killing of ourselves in these communities due to gang violence or lack of control. What do you think is the message that black Americans are propagating into the vibration of this planet? You know, I believe that um, I wouldn't even say it's something that we're propagating because we don't really control. At the end of the day, man, the entertainment industry is not controlled by us. These images are not financed, produced, or for, in large part, uh, not financed, produced, or distributed by us. Uh, when we look at many of the uh, shows, both past and present, the writers of these shows aren't Black people. So these roles that are created, these really are caricatures of Black people that are created, they are created by those who want to see us in a particular image and in a particular light that they've imagined or could have created for us. When you look at, you know, what we said, the music, the music videos, reality shows, it certainly has us vibrating at a very low rate, you know, very low on the vibe, uh, what they would call the vibratory scale in terms of uh, life force and life energy. This is what is being conveyed and, First and foremost to us, you know, these are really the weapons of warfare. You mentioned China. I just, I wanted to touch on that briefly. China is on a quest. And there's something about the quest that they're on. They, they understand the importance of culture and how culture can either be used to make or break a people. You know, them taking measures to secure their future as a dominant world power has everything to do with their ban on effeminate men being portrayed on television. It's in their best interest. And unfortunately, you know, with our people, we don't understand what's in our best interests, in best interest culturally. And popular culture that dominates the black community today, you know, again, is given us given to us and sold to us by people who wish to destroy us in our future. And China's government, although far from perfect, on this particular issue, man, they I think they have a right. And I think that we could take a page out of their book. Because they know that a nation full of effeminate men is a sure road to its destruction, you know, and, and it will destroy their future or future desires to be the dominant world power. Um, I don't think that we can find anywhere in the annals of history. Well, I'll stop there. I'll just say it has to, in many ways, it has to start with men. And if there's any confusion in the men of a society as to who they are, their God-given purpose, what their nature is. Uh, if it starts with men and number one men in their relationship with God, it affects their relationship with their woman. It affects how children are brought up and how children uh, see themselves and, and understand their role and purpose and how they grow into manhood and, and womanhood. How could you have a future worth anything if men don't know who they are? If men don't want to accept manhood and the natural rights and uh, role and uh, privileges and responsibilities that come with manhood, what is going to be the future of that nation? Where does that leave the women? Yeah, so I think when, when we think back and we look historically and we, we think of Lyndon B. Johnson, who wrote into law this thing called social services, where uh, we're going to provide subsidized housing, and we're going to provide uh, what is now called SNAP benefits and medical services. Now, 
initially when he wrote these things into law, he was really looking out for veterans. Right. But, you know, when when these laws are written, you, you don't see the negative repercussions of these laws until two, three, four generations later. OK, uh, the negative consequences of it from an economic standpoint, as well as the potential negative repercussions of it from a familiar standpoint. So eventually what what started happening was and I know there's this misnomer that the people that are on social services the most are people in the African-American community. And that's you know a false narrative and a, and a false talking point. But unfortunately, it has affected our community where a lot of single mothers have made the decision that it, I I'm in a position where I can survive a little bit better if I don't have the father of my children in the home. If he comes in the home, then they're going to drop down my benefits. If he comes in the home, then they're going to change my housing situation. If he comes in the home, then am I going to still qualify for Medicaid benefits? There's all these questions that go through some some women's minds that um, do not understand potentially uh, the thought process of being for self, that it has caused this narrative of generations because this this social service benefit thing has been in place since the 60s. So it's been these generations of some people being raised in single parent homes. Now, I'm, I'm, there's a number of reasons why a person can be raised in single parent homes. OK, I'm not castigating people to have isolated situations where they have lost their dead through to whatever reason that may be. But for some of these people who some of these mothers who have made the decision that I am going to procreate with someone and I have no desire of actually um, creating a family beyond procreation, then this is continuating the situation of, well, my parents were raised in a single parent home. I'm potentially going to raise my children in a single parent home. And what is that going to do for the third generation? So it's, it's, un, it's very unfortunate, but I culminate all this by saying it's something that I heard last year or maybe 2019 that I thought was amazing, amazing point. No civilization can be conquered from the outside unless it's destroyed itself from within. You know, I, I'll just throw that out there for people to really think on that. Then the next question, brother, which is um, we both know and understand the concept of building and destroying. And right now we're witnessing the destruction of Western culture. And I have mentioned to several people that this is an amazing time to be alive. For my listeners who follow the Holy Bible, we are witnessing the book of Revelations being played out. For my listeners who are Muslims, we are witnessing or we are getting closer, rather, to the day of Kiyama. It is my hope that my life has been pleasing in God's sight. To ask you this, brother, um, in your observation, where did we as a nation go wrong? Do you feel that our nation has reached a point of no return at this point? Well, are you speaking of uh, our nation as a whole, uh, meaning, I guess, the United States of America or you, the black nation in particular? Thank you for challenging me on that one. Let's focus on isogetically. We as a black American culture first and then potentially work our way out from there. Have we as black Americans, have we gone too far? Have we allowed because the, they can only capture on video, capture musically what we allow them to capture. So have we gone too far? And then, you know, we'll, we'll work our way from there. Definitely. I think the condition of, uh, well, let me say, I, I think a lot of times, Many of us, depending upon where we live, what our uh, station in life is, we become we can become disconnected to the reality of the, the masses of our people. If you ask some people, they would say that, you know, our people are doing just fine because they look at some of the uh, material gains that we have, uh, some of the educational gains and things of that nature, which are great. But if we dig deep, really dig deeply, man, and really look at the condition of our people in many parts of this country, man. We've gone backwards in such a way. It reminds me of, uh, you know, the saying, what does it profit a man to gain the world but to lose his soul? Yes, we've made some worldly gains, but look at the conditions of our homes, our families, and our communities that you know, it seemed as though when we didn't have as much 
we were a better people. We didn't shoot up the school or shoot up the neighborhood <laughs> years ago. Our homes, for the most part, were intact. Our families were intact. Whatever issues or problems they may have had, we fought to have intact families. And now we have, what, over 70% of our homes uh, that are all headed by single mothers. And there's a direct correlation between that, and this is not blaming uh, single mothers because there's fault on both sides, but there's a direct correlation between that and mass incarceration. And these other things that we see, man, uh, that are so so devastating to, to us uh, in the present and in the future. I don't know if it is something um, that has reached the point of no return. I think there is always an opportunity to get it right. But in order to get it right, we have to first recognize where, we, where we're going wrong. Well, again, we have to recognize, we have to understand, because we've become so used to and so accustomed to the way things are, we don't even see an issue and we don't see a problem with it. I, I kind of um, think of Black people in America as, uh, I think there's an experiment that people often reference where if you put a frog into a uh, pot <laughs> of water, you know, naturally, if you take the temperature from zero to, to 120, then you recognize, you know, I'm in danger. That frog will, will, will jump out of the pot. But with us, the temperature has been gradually turned up over time. And we're boiling and about to be totally consumed by, by fire. And we don't realize it, man, because we, we become such a distracted people. Um, it reminds me of a, a quote that I saw from Dr. Uh, Francis Press Wilson, the great, the late great Dr. Francis Press Wilson, whose work definitely should be uh, should be studied, uh, should be studied, because, and, and should be learned. Right, um, and many of her writings, she predicted a lot of what we see today uh, concerning our people and, and the state of our people. But one of the things she she talked about was the secret war on black people. And she said, you know, that we don't see the war being waged against us because we don't want to and because we're afraid. We're engaging in behavior that's designed to block out any awareness of the war, which is our true reality. You know, we really are in a state of uh, war, uh, spiritually, mentally, financially, and, and in a state of war in every way. And we don't see that we are very strongly attached to an old world order that is dying, and that is the, the world order of Western rule. As you mentioned, we are really witnessing uh, or living in a time of the death of Western power and Western dominance in the world. And it goes back to, uh, you know, that the question you asked about China. I mean, what you really see now is a rejection in many parts of the world of Western culture and Western ways. People are now in a state of... Uh, self-determination and determination for survival. And they can see many of the failures of the West and have determined that, man, we need, we need to turn inward and go back to the way that works for us. And I think that is something that our people have to do. You know, we have uh, fought so hard to be a part of this and we don't realize that we've, uh, we're a part of something that's dying and we really have to turn inward and really look at what is going to be what best for us and begin to uh, put off and even reject uh, some of the ways of this world that have proven to not work for us. Absolutely. I, I would say that I've said to people quite often in the last couple of weeks that this is an amazing time to be alive. We are seeing what for so many years people have talked about, like, oh, we're in the end times, we're in the end times. I'm sure my grandmother felt like during her times as a child and a teenager and the things she saw in the South uh, that we were in end times at that point. But we are literally seeing signs in the sky and, and rumors of war and pestilence. Um, I, I don't know why the administrations of these different countries will not come out and just say we're calling this a a pandemic and they don't want to use a word from old of saying this is a curse, a plague. A plague, right. Because they are, and pardon me if I interrupted you, brother. No, it's cool. No, you know, it's funny you mention that because I, I 
I often, you know, when I do check out the news, which I try to stay away from a lot of the mainstream <laughs> news and whatnot. Um, mm-hmm. But when I do watch it, or, you know, I may check out a uh, press conference from the president or maybe even uh, a governor of one of the states. And when I hear them talking, man, and when I see them, I, I see them as the blind leading the blind. You mentioned that word pestilence or curse. See, these things sound too much like scripture. And although they swear an oath on the Bible, I have not seen any of them come before the people and offer a solution from scripture, a solution from God to end this uh, this pestilence. And, you know, we, I guess we, we you don't want to go in that. But I'm, if we're going there, I mean, there's a number of scriptures that talks about God's anger and this uh, displeasure with the behavior of the people reaching a certain point. And then him having to visit plagues and distress on the people. And it's funny how most people would, would claim to be uh, believers in, uh, whether it be, uh, like you said, Christianity, Islam, a believer in these teachings, those prophets, and those scriptures. Yet, what is it that has them blinded? What is it that has them blinded? To, to the time in which we live. And if it isn't the end times, it, it surely seems like it's close <laughs> because I, it looks it looks like everything that was described in scripture of the end time. I would totally agree with you. I don't know what God um, or when Moses, when Moses uh, was at Mount Sinai and he was talking to the burning bush, Moses said, uh, what should I tell your people to call you in? According to the book of Exodus, he said, tell them I am that I am. Or in Hebrew, he said, uh, Ahaya, Ashaw, Ahaya. People who practice Islam would say Allah. And I don't know what God people are thinking they they are reading about and, and following. This is the same God that destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah because of homosexuality. Yeah. God, God changes not. We change. Our thought process has changed, but God doesn't operate in this. I'm one. I'm this one day and I'm I'm that another day. God is like, I'd rather you be hot or cold. There is no gray area. Well, the people don't believe in that. They don't believe in something anymore. There's been such a uh, going after the preachers, man. But I'm like, man, what are the preachers preaching? They're not preaching. They are delivering a message of prosperity, propagating and promoting what is going to continue to push the agenda that is going on in their in their particular churches. And I'm sure there's some churches out here that are doing some amazing work and right, doing some right, great right. things. I'm not talking about those churches. In most cases, if your church is a 511C3, which is a nonprofit church, there's certain things per that federal law, 501C3, once again, look it up. Uh, if you if you look that up, you will understand that they cannot say some of the things that pastors were saying in the 60s, 70s and 80s. They can't say those things anymore. And when you have these pastors like like um, Creflo Dollar, who is really big on, hey, I need a jet and I need this and I need that. I think of this scripture and, and I, I, I pulled it up while you were speaking earlier. And it says and it's from Matthew 19 and 24. And I'm reading from the King James Version because uh, I don't need no remix or no Bible. It says, and I, and I quote, and again, I say unto you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. So I understand that some people are chasing monetary success, but at what cost? Oftentimes I wonder to myself, at what cost? What have you sold of yourself? What have you sold of yourself? Kind of like, when uh, Eve gave Adam the apple and they, their eyes were open and they realized they were nude or naked. And God came through the garden and was like, where are you, Adam? Where are you? It's not that God didn't know because God knows everything. He's, he's omnipotent. He's omnipotent. But it's what have you done to yourself that you had to hide from me? A lot of times we do things as people where we end up hiding ourselves, the real person, of the real entity of who we are as people behind nice clothes, money, fancy stuff. And that's why we have a lot of broken. So there's a lot of people that look successful on media, which media is the fourth degree of self-indulgence. That's why it's called me, dia, 
You know, it's the fourth degree of self-indulgence. It's the fourth degree of putting yourself on some type of pedestal. And there's a lot of people that are so-called rich, wealthy, that are extremely unhappy on the inside because wealth does not always promote inner peace. But another thing that you were mentioning that I, one more scripture I want to throw out there before we move on. People are wondering why is there so much going on right now? It's because as this great man eloquently said in his NFL speech, his NFL, uh, I think he got put into the NFL Hall of Fame. He said, our work here is finished. All praise to the most high. Our work here is finished. And the reality is the time is up. And I say that to say this in the book of Genesis 15 and 13, it states, and I say unto Abram, know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs and shall serve them. And they shall afflict them for 400 years. Verse 14 says, and also that nation whom thou shalt serve will I judge. And afterwards shall they come out with great substance. I know some of you may be wondering, what does this have to do with African-Americans? I mentioned that scripture to set up this talking point. There's so many scriptures in the Bible that let you know who God's chosen people are. I didn't make it up. I didn't write the book. Deuteronomy 28 is a great book. For you to understand who's God's chosen people and the curses that they will face, especially coming into the end times. Our previous president, as I close this particular point, our previous president wrote into law a HR deal. And that is HR, H is in Harry, R is in Robert, 1242, which is the 400 years of African-American history commissions act please google it so if people are wondering what is the connective points what is the sanu i learned about the sanu when i was going through my process to become an alpha what is the connective tissue between a point that i was talking about and how it applies to america now the government understands who we are a lot of us do not and it's been it's been in a book that we've got in our in our back window collecting dust and getting soaked up in the sun it's in that bookshelf collecting dust if people understood that that book is a history book versus just basic instructions before leaving earth they'll be amazed they just took the took the time and, sh- and studied and showed themselves approved but i can go on for days about this brother and i apologize for going on a rant, but I really care about our people. I see how a lot of our people are lost. I see the brokenness in a lot of our people, man. That's what led me to wanting to have this platform because I wanted to put people in position to have these this conversation we're having now. Because you have a voice. There's a, many people that I know that have a voice and a point of view, whether I agree with it all the time. There's many people that I know that have a great point of view and have information to put out there. Go ahead, bro. No, I was going to say, brother, please don't apologize. Um, I, I appreciate your insight uh, and, and look forward always to hearing your insight on things. And I, I gain much from it, and I'm sure your listening audience does too. So so please don't apologize, brother, for what you share. It's, uh, it's timely, it's valuable, and um, I appreciate it. And again, I'm sure I understand. I mean, you... You hit so many good points, man. You hit the nail right on the head. And um, we we move on and on when it comes to, uh, I guess, breaking down or deciphering scripture and related yeah. to our uh, our plight and struggle as black people in America. Um, but I know that that might be another That's another chapter, brother. Definitely right. another right. chapter. Right. And I, I don't, I do not rather uh, want to labor this chapter rather for something that will be discussed at a later point. But I did want to throw that out there because I am recognizing how the shift of the planet is is changing. I mean, beyond, you know, for my people who are listening, who are into esoteric knowledge, you know, I've tried to study so many different things to be able to talk to different people, much like uh, Yushaya or Jesus, as we commonly say, uh, he was many things for many people, and I've I've decided to do the same thing, go on that same journey where I can be many things for many people. So if I run into someone who practice, who who is a Muslim, I can talk to them about different surahs, 
when I run into someone who proclaims to be Jewish, which anytime you put ISH at the end of anything, that means it's not quite right. That's that's basic English. But when I run into someone who is Jewish and their book is the Torah, I try to speak to them in Hebrew or Greek Aramaic to break the ice, to remove the barrier of confusion. I'm just going to say it, brother. They're trying to sell us that Israel and those people that's over there are God's chosen people. And it doesn't match up scripturally. And that's the reason, if you ever wonder to yourself, listeners, if you ever wonder to yourself, what is the beef that Israelis and, and Jewish people have with some Christians is because the things they say about Jesus is deplorable. I don't even want to go into it in this particular episode. If you knew what man, they was... Man, man, <laughs> you, you, you hit on something. And you know what I, What I've learned over the years about that oh, is a lot, of, a, lot, a lot of our people don't even know. They don't know. See, there's people who have pretended to be friends to us who really are not our friend. You know, I often think about... <laughs> sometimes it's not... It's funny, but it's not funny. But us as a whole, we often mistake many of our friends for enemies and many of our enemies for friends. And one thing I do, I I know um, and was actually shocked to learn is that many of our people don't know what these people teach of Jesus. Because I think about the strong love and, and affection and attachment that our people have to Jesus and the Jesus figure and to know that these people were pretended to be friends of our people, like you said, the deplorable things that they say of Jesus, not only Jesus, but Jesus and his mother. If they knew what was written in the Talmud, if they knew these things, and most of our people don't know, don't even know what the Talmud is, but if they knew and were aware of that, man, yeah, wow, you know. And any black man, as we've seen, who's tried to make our people aware of these things, he's vilified. The hatred of the people is turned towards this particular or these particular men who are trying to wake us up and, and show us who some of these people really are and how harmful our, our connection and relationship to them has been. And that's, again, a whole nother, uh, probably a whole nother chapter, man, if you, if you ever decide to go into that and uh, <laughs> have an episode around that. I mean, that... It's key, and it's something that should be shared, but it's definitely probably too much to go into right now. (laughs) It is. The fact that you brought up the Talmud is something within itself. And I want to repeat that for our listeners because uh, that's that's something, if you are interested, listeners, if, if you are interested, please look that up. But uh, there's a book that I want to mention, and and I want to have a I want to have a chapter just talking about books that I've ran into and I have personally. Uh, maybe you and I can build on that uh, another time. But there's a book that I want to mention called "The Secret Relationships Between Blacks and Jews," written by the uh, the Nation of Islam the historical Nation. Re- Nation of Islam's historical research department. I was going to say, man, it is uh, it is pardon me, my my voice. One of the unique. Uh, characteristics of this book is that while it was uh, denounced by many in the Jewish community, they have not been able to debunk any of the truth in the book. And one of the reasons why is, um, you know, I heard one of the, uh, in an interview, I heard one of the researchers uh, who helped to compile the uh, information and put in the book. He said that they intentionally only quoted Jewish scholars, Jewish rabbis, Jewish historians, that all of their information was gathered from their sources, just in case anyone would try to say that, you know, the information in the book was a lie, that the information is, uh, you know, skewed and untruthful because of who it came from. And so they intentionally (laughs) made sure that those sources were all sources from Jewish records. Again, Jewish rabbis, Jewish scholars, Jewish historians. Over the years, they've uh, asked or even demanded that book be uh, denounced. One of the responses I heard uh, the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan give to those who have said so, he said that if you can find anything in these books that is a lie, 
He was like, I'll denounce him, you know, immediately because I don't ever want to be charged with being a liar or presenting to the people, you know, things that are untrue. He said, but in order to denounce this book, then that means you would have to come forward and denounce the rabbis, the scholars, and the historians from which this information was gathered. And if you're ready to denounce them as liars, I'm ready to denounce this book as a lie. And so far, they have not <laughs> taken him up on that challenge because the fact of the matter is the information in, that, in those books are the truth. And uh, there's three volumes of it now. And I think that anyone who would read these books, which, by the way, have uh, been banned from a number, number of places now. Uh, Amazon is one of the most prominent uh, platforms that have banned the book with really no real explanation other than we were told to ban the book <laughs> and, that, and that's that. But these books that many of our people have never heard of, I think we get a better understanding of how our condition became what it became and how it remains what it is today. And that some of these, as we just mentioned a few moments ago, some of these relationships that we have with people, it really has been people pretending to be a friend of ours that have been, been nothing more than uh, they weren't with us in the beginning. They weren't, they've never been with us at all. They have, in many ways, sucked the lifeblood out of our people and have been able to maintain and sustain an existence for themselves off of uh, the backs of uh, our people's labor as well as off of our, uh, our ignorance. I would say anybody man, who's interested in uh, in having an arsenal of literature or uh, an arsenal, you know, in building their library, those books are, are key pieces, man, in the arsenal. Uh, secret, secret relationship between blacks and Jews, volumes one, two, and three. I would I would definitely urge your listeners to uh, obtain those books. And I would say the bookend of that one, if you're going to go, if, if a person, if one of my listeners are in, a, in the spirit of purchasing knowledge, go ahead and get the 13th Drive Tribe by author Kessler as well. That's that's oh, yes. an interesting. That's an interesting yes. book as well. Yes, um, going to your last point, then I'm going to read a scripture and we got to move on to the next question that I have. When you're talking about people are secretly acting like they have our best interests in, in mind. Um, for my people who have studied scripture, uh, they know about Esau and Jacob. Mm. We're Jacob. People of, of pigmentation uh, are Jacob and Esau is someone else. And this has been a battle for thousands of years. Just like Ishmael and the way Ishmaelites, which are uh, that are of Arabic descent, people who practice Islam are descendants of Ishmael. But um, I will say this in closing of this topic, Revelations 2 and 9, for my people who prefer to read the Bible as their book of choice, I know thy works in tribulations and poverty, but thou art rich, and I know the blasphemy of them who say they are Jews. Once again, I know the blasphemy of them who say they are Jews, but are not, All right, but are of the but are of the synagogue of Satan. You know what? If they shut this daggone platform down, I'd rather stand before God and say, you know, I'll try to do what you asked me to do, God. So when my heart is put on the scales of life that they talk about in Islam, that my heart is in good standing with the Most High, with God, with Allah, whatever you want to call it. I'd rather die on the truth. That's what this episode is about, speaking truth to power. So, you know, if you don't hear this podcast anymore, that'll reveal to you that it was too much truth in this episode. Too much. And I'm still going to put it out there. Alhamdulillah. Yes, sir. So, and I appreciate your dialogue on that, brother. But then, uh, the next question, over the last, over the past few years, we have seen marches, rallies, and protests to the injustice that we've experienced in the last 10 years. To which I find it ironic that our issues of injustice came to the forefront under the Obama administration. These nonviolent techniques realistically has gotten us nowhere. Our children are still in uh, communities where there's impoverishment. Um, they are malnourished. 
collectively our children are still intellectually behind their counterparts in a lot of cases, not all. We are affected most by the criminal system, specifically if you you liable to die on the side of the road. And that's not me making it up. I'm sure y'all have seen enough videos of men of our community being killed just as being executed right there on the spot. Yet and still, we march with signs and hope that our vote would change things. Where has your vote ultimately gotten you, people? I want our listeners to really think about that. Where has your vote ultimately gotten you? You know, and if it's gotten you some things, then great for you. Uh, you know, I, I'm glad that you've experienced something positive. You're voting. You're a part of a voting block. Your individual vote does not matter. Um, I, I encourage if you are going to vote, you know, please vote locally. But I said that to say this, to ask you this question, brother. I wonder what are your thoughts on how we can effectively move our people forward from an economic standpoint, intellectually, spiritually, and romantically, how can we push our people forward? I think the way forward for us will be to become a more self-determined people. There's too many people on the outside of our best interests who are directing the, uh, the well, or who, who, who are putting a direction before us that benefits their cause but it's not always in the best interest of our people. I think that we have to turn inward and come together and determine the uh, best way forward for ourselves. Even if that means becoming a bit more insular and, and cutting ourselves off or cutting outsiders off. There's too many people outside of the community that has way too much control over black leaders, black teachers, and black people who are guiding the, the direction of our people and who, who have the ear in the hearts and minds of our people. And oftentimes, again, it is to promote an agenda that has absolutely nothing to do with what is in the best interest and the best way forward for our people. And I know I'm, I'm sounding a bit repetitive in what I'm saying, but we have to determine what the best way forward is. And we have to look at what has worked and what has not worked. To me, it just seems like it's common sense to say, man, if we tried it this way for so long and we still haven't gotten the results that we desire, what is it that we have not tried? And I think one of the greatest uh, things that we have not tried and continue to overlook is true unity amongst us. Letting down those barriers of uh, religion, those barriers of uh, socioeconomic status, those uh, barriers between educated, non-educated, and really looking at uh, and those those barriers of uh, I belong to this organization, I belong to that organization, I belong to this fraternity, that sorority, and that sort of thing, and saying, you know, while I may have my tribe over here, tribe is not bigger than nation, and what's best for the family as a whole. And how do we get past those uh, many things that are artificial barriers and look at the true reality of our situation? Because, you know, unfortunately, as you mentioned, if you, if you do find yourself in a situation where you are pulled over by a racist police officer, they're not stopping the actual church you go to or what God you pray to or uh, what fraternity you belong to or where you work or how much money you make, where you live, you know, that sort of thing. They see black and they, they act according, <laughs> according to that. I think that we have to take control. We're, we're, we're in the midst of, we see a dying world, a dying America. And we had better start looking at ways to uh, save ourselves from this fall that we're witnessing. And one of the ways to do so is, uh, I think, through uh, unity and collective effort to where you know, how, how many years are you going to complain about economic injustice before you decide to take your economic fate into your own hands? You know, with the level of uh, knowledge, know-how, expertise, experience, and education that now exists in the Black community, why are we still complaining about Black unemployment when we have everything that we need to produce jobs for ourselves? You know, as we sit and complain about uh, 
the way black people are portrayed on television, we have every means now to produce our own images of black people and to portray ourselves in a true and uh, a positive and righteous light. We have the means to do so, even politically. And, you know, I don't want to go there because I know, you know, black people will be ready to burn you at the stake over their relationship with the Democratic Party. But black people really, we really have to start truly examining our relationship with the Democratic Party and what have we truly gotten out of it. And I don't even mention the Republican Party because it's not even worth, they're not worth mentioning. We already know where we stand with them. But again, we talk about those who have fake friendship with us for their benefit. We have to include the Democratic Party in that group of those who have not truly been the friend to us that we think that they have been. And they've benefited from their relationship with us way more than we've benefited from our relationship with them. But we have, I think we have everything that we need within our community to correct every problem or nearly every problem that we face, everything that we complain about, everything that we see that we don't like. Um, you know, I look at all of these educated black people and yet we still complain about the public school system. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But we have everything that we need to build our own schools and to produce the type of uh, outcomes that we desire in our children. I mean, I, I can't imagine and this is no knock against teachers who I know do the best that they can, but they're very limited. And we continue to complain about, the, again, the failures of the, uh, the public school system, the uh, lack of resources that they have, the overcrowded classrooms, the very nonchalant and uncaring teachers. Well, we have everything that we need within our community to have successful and thriving schools where we won't have some of the distractions some of the disciplinary problems. When you have teachers in the school who really love black students, who are really invested in their uh, achievement and who are really invested in their learning and invested in their future, we have that in the black community. It's just a matter of pulling it together. And in many ways, a matter of us putting our money where our mouth is. You know, maybe some of that money that we spend on, on designer clothes and shoes, you know, that becomes, and weaves and wigs and, and nails and, and, and so many, so much other madness, man. We have the resource. We really do have the financial resources to produce a better outcome uh, in our community. You know, those things. We, again, we complain about gentrification. Well, you know, how how do we how do we allow gentrification in many of the cities? You know, we saw the condition of the communities, the condition of the properties. Why didn't we come together? And uh, instead of running away, which I understand why we, you know, we often run away from these places where we live. I, I get it. But at the same time, it really boils down to vision. Do you have a vision? Now, you know, I always often say this to people when I think about the importance of vision. Some people looked at the desert of Las Vegas and they just saw barren desert. But someone had the vision. They saw a thriving, bustling uh place for uh, for gambling, entertainment, and other things. And they summons the resources, man, and they built their vision. So if someone can take a barren desert and make it what it is, I mean, you see that even in, um, you know, in many places of the Middle East and what they built in Dubai and Qatar and these other places, someone had a vision of barren desert being a, a, a thriving and bustling uh, metropolis and you mean to tell me that we can't turn the places where we live into decent places to live? And I think if we solve many of those problems, uh, if we can come together with a collective uh, economic vision to solve some of those problems of uh, unemployment, uh, the issues that we have with education and other things, I think naturally you see a better outcome in terms of male-female relationships family. You know, it's very difficult to have a successful family when someone's struggling to provide. Absolutely. I, I, I agree with many of the points that you made, and we could have a chapter just on that by itself, those right. four or five talking right. points. And 
we cannot unwrap this all in one in one chapter, um, one conversation. And there's many ways to get to paths of success. I will say this. You made a good point about having vision. The other point about vision, though, is what I find with our people in a lot of cases is there's a lot of people that have vision and these ideas, but you got to have people that's willing to do the work. So when you were talking about uh, the gangsters, the, the Italians who put their money up to support uh, Lucky Luciano to build those different casinos out there, he had the vision and he had the connections. So the vision, the connection and the work made it happen. So we need visionaries in our community. We need workers and we need people that's going to make and, and maintain these, these, these different situations. But in closing, I always ask my guests, if you had to provide a thesis statement for this episode, what would it be? That is a, uh, a good question. I know, um, you know, that this episode is a departure from the norm of, you know, I guess the particular format that you use for your podcast. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't know how, honestly, to put it into a, uh, into a thesis statement. Um, I will say, though, you, it was something you mentioned earlier uh, in the introduction, and I never got a chance to respond to it. Uh, wanted to definitely say thank you for allowing me to uh, share your platform with you. Uh, I, I certainly want to do that and do so to where your listening audience can hear that and to know that I am uh, grateful for the opportunity to do so, even though I was very, very, very reluctant. (laughs) And I, because, you know, I can think of a hundred people off the top of my head, literally, who would be more worthy of even sharing this type of platform and to have any number of uh, people listening in the audience who would have so much more to share. So I don't consider myself as one have that type of platform, but I'm, I'm grateful and thankful that uh, you would find me worthy enough to, um, you know, I guess have this public discussion with you because this is pretty much how a lot of our, our personal and private conversations go. Um, so I'm thankful for that. We have to determine the best way forward for ourselves and that maybe that could be the thesis statement. You know, we... Black people, I'm speaking of in particular, we have to determine the best way forward for ourselves. And we can clearly look at what is happening to our uh, our youth and what's happened to our families. And it's very clear and evident that many of the things that we have been doing is not working. And we have to really determine what the best way forward is going to be because we truly cannot continue on in the manner in which we're going because we really will not survive this fall of this present world order that we see. I mean, we clearly see that we are in the midst of the fall of this present world order and we have to determine the best way forward for our survival. And it may be that we have to return very much to some of the basics, getting our personal lives in order, getting our families in order, becoming a more self-determined, more self-reliant, and more self-sufficient people, because it's becoming more and more evident that we have government leadership. I don't care what side of the political spectrum you, you may be on, it is becoming very clear that these people can't save themselves. So they don't have the ability to save us. To save us. And we better not be so dependent upon them. I don't care how much you like Joe Biden or how much you hate uh, Donald Trump or, uh, you know, whoever your favorite politician may be. Mm-hmm. When it really goes down as it is going down now, you are on your own. And we better learn to depend on one another and, more importantly, rebuild our connection and our relationship with our God to survive what is clearly on the horizon. Well, brother, I appreciate that. I appreciate your time and your input. It is my hope that the listeners of this particular chapter will leave enriched and motivated to promote change. I suggested several books. You suggested some books. I hope that you are willing to come back 
and have another conversation for my listeners, please know that it is my attempt to only put positive messages out there, ways for you to gain more information. Don't take my word for it. Do not take my guest's word for it. You study and you show yourself approved. That's what the scripture says. In closing, welcome to the thesis, a podcast where we unlock the thoughts of time. Be encouraged. Some things gotta change.